everyone, and welcome to the Hi, My Name is Life podcast. This is episode six. I am your host, Aaron, and my preferred pronouns are she and her. This week, we're finally back with the continuation of the main story arc that I started in the first two episodes. <laughs> and this time, hopefully, this recording will go according to plan. <laughs> but back in episode one, I talked about my horrific accident and subsequent traumatic brain injury that I sustained in 2015. And in episode two, uh, sharing the process of recovery and rehabilitation from that injury. If you haven't had the opportunity already to listen to either of those episodes, I would highly recommend going back, giving them a listen first to help bring you up to speed with what we're going to dive into today. So to start things off doing something new, I'm going to give this episode a theme. Yay! Which is anything is possible. These are three of the most important and powerful words in my life and a mantra that I live by and share with whoever thinks they could never do something. This mantra came into being from my tremendous comeback, not only to my return to competitive sport, but also at the same time, my journey of becoming the woman I was always meant to be as well. But doing all that at the same time, like I always say, go big or go home. So how did this mantra of anything is possible become such a beacon of hope and motivation in my life? Let's dive into it. All right, here we go. While I was in rehab, my doctors wanted me to create goals as a way to keep myself motivated throughout the recovery process, but also as a way to help deal with my issues with mental health, which I went into greater detail back in episode two. Even though I never had issues with mental health before the accident, cycling has always been an important part and a driving force in my life as well. It was my passion and it was my love. So during my physical rehab, I set the goal of getting back on my bike and I used that to fight through all of the challenges and hurdles that were being thrown at me during this time. I would probably say it was my carrot on the stick. And because of that, it was starting to show results. In around mid-2016, I was progressing so quickly with my physical recovery, I not only reached that carrot, but I gobbled it up <laughs> as well. And because of that, my doctors finally felt comfortable enough to clear me to slowly return to riding my bike again. But they were very adamant that reducing risk is the highest priority and that this return to cycling needs to be done as safe as humanly possible. So I slowly worked myself back into it, setting my bike up in my trainer, and slowly beginning the process of feeling comfortable on the bike again, as well as getting my cycling legs back. But as I progressed with that and had the confidence, I finally felt comfortable enough to ride outside on trails. <laughs> 
very much want to emphasize on trails first. As I continued getting out there and riding again, my competitiveness and that desire to race was slowly returning and that need began to grow and grow, eventually becoming what I wanted my next carrot to be. So I approached my doctors and finally asked if I'll ever be able to race again. And I was told that the risk of sustaining another head injury was too high to ever consider them clearing me to return to that sport specifically. The concerns my doctors had was because you're in a peloton. For people that aren't familiar with cycling and road racing, a peloton is a large mass of cyclists tightly grouped together and riding as kind of a big giant blob down the road. And because of that, you know, the peloton is very unpredictable and very dangerous. All it really takes is one rider to crash and potentially wipe out the majority of the field behind them, which would greatly increase the probability of another head injury. They were also very honest with me with the fact that if I was ever to sustain another severe head injury, that there was a very high probability that I would not wake up from it. And obviously, I very much want to stay awake and not be in a coma or die. You know, so I very much understood where they were coming from, their stance and their concerns as well. I mean, I've seen this happen for myself at races. You know, I'm not lying. They weren't lying. The majority of crashes in road cycling do occur in the Peloton. And most of them are pretty freaking devastating. Like you're so tightly bunched together. You're pretty much handlebar to handlebar, you know, and all it takes is someone to cross wheels, get tangled up in another rider's handlebars, taking a bad turn, you know, hitting a wet spot on the pavement to result in total carnage. I've, I've seen it and I don't want to take, you know, I don't now, I don't really want to risk that. But still like hearing that from an actual doctor, talk about, you know, punch to your gut. I mean, it's like telling a major league pitcher that they'll never pitch again. It's devastating to hear, right? But this comeback was just too important for me and I wasn't going to take no for an answer. I can't just pack up my bags and leave, right? You know, I was thinking to myself, there has to be another way. There has to be other options that would allow me to return to something that I love. And that's when I started thinking about triathlon. Let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back in time. I had friends in the sport, as well as uh, I was dating somebody who was training for their second Ironman. And, you know, I always watch Ironman's Kona coverage uh, whenever it was available on television. And I was always amazed by what these athletes are capable of at these distances. And even back then, when I was watching it on TV, I always thought that I would never be able to do something like that in my life. Going back to the theme, as we'll learn, anything is possible. <laughs> but, you know, being kind of around these people that were in the sport, 
you know, I began to learn how triathlon works, the rules, the ins and outs of it all. And I was quickly discovering that the sport might actually remove or at the very least lower the concerns my doctors had. For instance, during the bike portion of a triathlon, the majority of races and specifically Ironman uh, don't allow drafting. And what I mean by drafting is you're not allowed to group up with other riders and, you know, taking turns drafting behind one another, which typically results in the creation of a peloton or a big group, obviously not to the extent of what you would see in road cycling, but it's still there. <laughs> and when that happens, the risks come into play as well. So majority of triathlons and Ironman, they don't allow drafting. You have to stay about five to six bike lengths behind the rider in front of you, unless you are trying to pass them. And once you complete that pass, the other rider must drop back to the required distance unless they want to try to overtake you again. With that in mind, uh, the risk of being trapped in an unpredictable and potentially dangerous group of riders is relatively low to like removed from the equation completely. It doesn't remove the risks of just crashing on the bike while on the course or anything like that. But the big risk is that stuck in that unpredictable group of people. But the only part of the triathlon race that, you know, I could see where the risk could be higher was during the swim, because uh, swims are usually mass starts, meaning everybody starts at the same time, which could result in swimmers getting tightly bunched together, which then could lead to being kicked in the head, smacked in the face, getting swam over, you name it, it could happen. But going into this goal of mine, of my first Ironman, I knew that wasn't going to be an issue because, well, for one kind of major thing, I didn't know how to swim at the time. <laughs> and that means I would first have to learn how to swim and swim properly. And pretty much that means... I'm not going to be a very strong swimmer for probably a hand, you know, a couple to a handful of seasons. Even today, being three seasons into my triathlon career, I'm still not a strong swimmer. <laughs> I'm really bad. Um, so not being a strong, so not being a strong swimmer, I would be so far behind uh, a pack of swimmers that the concerns would be a non-issue, in my opinion. Basically, I'm training for the swim and swimming to just survive the distance that I'm required to swim. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, so with all of that data collected, like a lawyer, I built my case and presented the idea to my doctors. And just in case they didn't know anything about triathlon, I explained to them everything that I just shared with you. And also that my new goal for myself to help motivate me in the final stages of my recovery was going to be finishing a full distance Ironman within a year to 
a year and a half after my accident. Um, this next part's a, a bit, you know, interesting. Uh, but my doctors took in all of the information and to my surprise, uh, they felt that the positives of doing this far outweighed the negatives with regards to like my mental health and having that motivation to pull through the rest of recovery. And because of that, they felt comfortable enough to clear me for training and triathlon once I've proven that I'm ready to take that on. But they were also very honest that adjustments would have to be made with regards to training and racing as my brain injury uh, and its associated symptoms would bring various limitations that I would need to accept and develop possible workarounds to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Now, with regards to my goal of finishing a full Ironman within a year to a year and a half, um, <laughs> they respectfully encouraged me to aim lower and uh, pick a race slash distance <laughs> that would be more attainable given the limitations I would have with my TBI. <laughs> they didn't, so like, they didn't necessarily say I can't or couldn't do it, but it definitely was implied and most certainly felt like they, I was being told that I wouldn't be able to do this. And this didn't just come from my doctors, you know. I heard this from a number of people in my life and people in my support network as well. And after hearing that, it only really, it really only fueled the fire because I don't like it when people tell me that I can't do something. And when I hear someone say that to me, it only adds to my motivation to not only do what they say I can't do, but to prove them wrong. So coming out of that kind of conversation slash time period, I now have two carrots tied to my stick. You know, obviously first, I still had a lot of work to do with regards to uh, rehab and recovery to get that little signed document of being cleared uh, to officially start anything. But the potential of the green light was given and that's all I needed. And I set the date of when I'm going to accomplish this goal. And that date was August 27th, 2017, Ironman Coeur d'Alene. And that became the beacon of light to push towards. So when I finally got cleared to start training and start my first official season, quote unquote, of triathlon, I was also starting the process of hormone replacement therapy, uh, which is also known as HRT, three months before that, before I started uh, training. So hormone replacement therapy is replacing your hormones. So blocking the hormone that you naturally produce and replacing the hormone that you want it to replace. So for example, with me, my HRT process was taking a medication called spirolactone, not a very good drug, but it's what's approved by the FDA. 
But this drug blocks the production of testosterone, which thankfully today, I no longer need to take Spiro uh, because of my vaginoplasty surgery. Because of that surgery, they removed the, the primary source of testosterone production. So I pretty much don't produce any testosterone in my body. Uh, if I do, it's like so small and barely kind of like registers in any type of like lab work or anything like that. So I'm, I'm so happy that I don't have to take that anymore. And then I started and still take today two other medications, one being uh, Depo-Estradiol, which provides me with estrogen. And I do that intermuscular, so I inject it into my quads every week. And I also take progesterone as well. So kind of like what this does is build up the proper hormone levels of an average cis woman and slowly starts the process of making changes to your body, like redistribution of fat, uh, similar to women, breast growth, changes to your skin, your thought processes, etc. It There's a lot to dig in there, but those are kind of like the main core things that it does. So these early stages of HRT, I always like to refer to them as the awkward stage of transition. And during those 10 months, I had to navigate this world of training and triathlon all while I'm in this super awkward stage at the same time. <laughs> like I said before, go big or go home. But, you know, the changes that you see happen with your body can also take like an average of two years for it to fully kind of like things to develop and kind of reach that maintenance mode. Uh, so because of that, some trans women like to wait a few months into HRT to allow some of that development to occur before presenting as a woman full time. I made the decision to start presenting a month before I started HRT. All of this, I'll get into much greater detail when I specifically talk about my gender identity stuff and transition in a later episode. But because I started presenting as a woman so early on, I needed to wear a wig and breast forms. So now you can kind of build that picture uh, and see why I like to call this the awkward stage of transition. So with all of this, I had to start thinking about how I would handle going into training and going into these races. Like, you can't necessarily do all this while wearing a wig or breast forms. I've tried it. <laughs> I've tried a couple training sessions wearing a wig and wearing my breast forms, and it's not a good idea. It's a very bad idea, actually. Obviously, I needed to deal with how to remove these items, as well as dealing with having male genitalia at this time in these crowded environments privately and without embarrassment. I don't really know. I don't really know if embarrassment or embarrassing is the correct word to use, but it was quite an embarrassing time in my life, having to figure out those logistics and everything. It was, it was a very big challenge and a very big hurdle to get over. 
Um, and it, it took a bit of time for me to actually be okay like with what I do today when it comes to training and going into these public areas. So with all of that swirling around in my head, on top of all of the worries of being ready for my first Ironman, there was an immediate need of learning how to swim first. Like I said before, I did not know how to swim beyond your basic doggy paddle and your, <laughs> your frog stroke. <laughs> uh, boy, so this is what kind of sparked the very scary and worrisome situation, I guess is the right word to use, because I needed to find a gym with a pool that would be accepting and supportive with who I am. Ah! <laughs> Talk about it. That's a big, that's a big thing to deal with, right? Especially this early on in transition. It's, ooh, ah, <laughs> it was scary. It was really scary. So with all that, it brings one very specific thing to smack me across the head like Miley Cyrus riding her little wrecking ball that quickly triggered all of my worries, my fears, my stresses, anxiety, and questions. I'm of course talking about the locker room. This is one of the biggest topics when it comes to the trans community. You know, it has local businesses, schools, city councils, state and federal officials, even the fucking president of the United States talking about it and making laws to dictate where I and my community can go to change clothes, take showers, pee, and poop. Like, this shit is, this shit is a legitimate concern, you know? I feared a witch hunt, ridicule, humiliation, arguments, confrontations, you know, and most importantly, my safety. The last thing I want is someone to threaten me with violence just for using a locker room. I mean, come on, ladies. It's just a locker room. It's just a bathroom. I mean, we're not talking about the Taj Mahal here, okay? Uh, you know, and this isn't just limited to the women's locker room or the women's bathroom. You know, this the same goes for the male locker room and, you know, male specific bathrooms. You know, it's the same thing. Look, I mean, we've all seen penises and we've all seen breasts. We've all seen vaginas. We've all seen people naked before in private and in public. I mean... This isn't anything new, right? You know, we really shouldn't even have gender-specific anything. We should just have one bathroom, one locker room for everybody. Guys don't even use, you know, guys don't even use uh, the toilets. They use ur urinals majority of the time unless they need to go poo. You know, ladies, you just go in to the bathroom stall, close and lock the door and do your business. And then you open the door and you leave. You have nothing but privacy the entire, you know, while you're doing your business. I don't, it's, I don't get it. It's ridiculous. I understand where they're coming from, but I don't know, whatever. But I digress greatly. 
But these legitimate concerns and fears, like I said, was causing so much stress and it scared me so much that I kept asking my coach to push learning how to swim and starting, you know, swim workouts back as much as humanly possible and to just focus on the bike and the run until I could like feel comfortable going into that pool, going into that locker room, whatever, right? And, you know, it got so much. I even considered pushing back uh, my Ironman date to the next year, to 2018 instead of 2017, just so I can wait until I, I was further along in my transition and development. You know, it affected me that much. But that's when I started remembering what so many people were telling me when I first said I was going to do this Ironman. You know, the people saying, you can't do it. You should aim for something more attainable. You shouldn't do this. I don't think this is a good idea, et cetera, et cetera. All that started swirling around in my head. And yeah, sure, you know, there's no shame in postponing something because of a legitimate concern or a legitimate fear, you know, but accomplishing this goal was so important to me. I couldn't just give up that easily and postpone it. After hearing all of that, you know, I started to tell myself, I'm not going to accept the questionable looks, the hate, or the potential for confrontations. You know, swimming was my roadblock to catching that carrot on the stick. And I wasn't going to let that stop me. I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to let all those people who told me I couldn't do it win. And I certainly was not going to let all those haters and discrimination and all of that and all those people win either. So I told myself, and I remember this like it was yesterday. I told myself, I am who I am. I am a woman and I deserve to be in that locker room. And literally the next day I reached out to my coach and I told her, let's fucking do this. And that's how we started the journey to my Ironman. This is part one of uh, the Anything is Possible series. I had to break it up because I didn't want to make episodes really long. I felt like this was a good starting and introduction to this period of the story. The next episode, we'll be diving into the actual training, transitioning, situations that I ran into as a transgendered woman and as a transgender athlete. And we'll, give, we'll be getting into some hard topics and some really inspiring and motivational topics as well. So please stay tuned for part two. So thank you everyone for listening. I truly, truly appreciate all the continued love and support for myself and for my new podcast. Of course, the best way to help support the show is to subscribe and leave a review. I would really love the feedback as this is all new to me and to share with your friends and family. Of course, if you have any questions, you're welcome to send in a message to 
podcast at hi-myname-is-aaron.com. That is E-R-I-N. You're also welcome to reach out over social media. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram with the handle hi, my name is underscore life. So until then, remember, anything is possible. And I will see you all in the next episode. Thank you again. Bye-bye.